0: Last week, we began this short two-week series called Confronting Illusions because I believe one of the most important challenges we have as human beings is to believe we are who Jesus says we are, to not fall for the lies, the illusions, and the tricks of the enemy, the one who wants nothing more than to deceive us with his sleight of hand, an illusion to believe something about ourselves that appears to be true but isn't real. Brennan Manning, who is the inspiration for the title of this series, said, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Last week, we began by pressing in to fighting the lies with truth, to confronting the illusions, and to begin to ask the question, who am I? And maybe you struggle with that question. Maybe that's because you don't feel like you have an answer. Or maybe you know what the answer is supposed to be, but it doesn't feel like it's really true. Or maybe you feel like you're not hearing anything at all. You are not alone. As I've wrestled and wrestled with this question, I've found that that question and that struggle is not all that unique. That I'm not alone. As I've shared with friends and family my own struggle and wrestling with this of what I've realized is that so many of us struggle with the same question and maybe some of us are beginning to struggle with it. Many of, maybe some of us have been struggling with it for a long time. Maybe some of us don't even know that we've struggled with it. And so maybe this will unveil some of the illusions and begin to help you answer that question and exchange the lie for truth. I want us to jump to the Old Testament book of Judges. Now, for a little bit of context, the book of Judges tells the history of Israel, particularly in these repeated patterns of rebellion. Now, prior to having kings in that time, there were judges. God would raise up judges in order to help deliver people from oppression and help them return to the faithfulness of God. And so I'm gonna begin in Judges chapter six. And so if you could open as you follow along there, I'm gonna begin reading in verse one. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain-class caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now let's just review for a minute just help keep you up with what's going on here now the israelites are known as god's people they are the group of people that god has spoken to throughout the hebrew scriptures and they're supposed to be following god god has spoken to them god has been with them god delivered them out out of egypt and so now at this point in their in their history they have been taken over by the midianites and so because of this, things are not going well for Israel. There are fears that are at play here as life spins out of control. There isn't much of a relationship with God and things are spiraling. And so when life seems out of control, they cry out. And maybe you've seen this own pattern in your own life. As things get bad, as things get difficult, as things begin to spiral eventually you hit a point where you have nowhere else to turn eventually you don't know what else to do eventually you can't figure it out you're too afraid you're too alone you're the burden is too big the fight is too hard and so you cry out you're in desperation it's like god please do something say something help In my own wrestling with my identity, this question of who am I came in the midst of things being difficult. And if you've been around faith or you've listened to our sermons for a while, you may have even have heard me share about our own family's struggles in the midst of life. About a year ago was our family's first miscarriage and it was in the midst of of the questions that that prompted in life that I wrestled with my own identity. That the enemy began to use the circumstances of life to raise these questions to bring these illusions to the forefront and make it so much easier to believe the lies and the truth and so i began to wrestle with these questions and when i say wrestle i mean deep struggle on the inside questions of who am i does god speak to me and so i knew what the bible was supposed to say i knew what i was supposed to answer i knew what i would say from the stage about what God says about me, but on the inside, I just didn't hear it. I didn't know it. I didn't think that God would speak to me the way a parent speaks to their kids, the way I would speak about my own kids. Instead, because of life, because of the spiraling out of control, because of the burdens and the challenges of life, because of looking at my own circumstances and looking at the people I love, I was confronted with all of these illusions because the illusions seemed to be more real than the truth. The things that seemed to be explainable about my own sin and my own shame and my own fears and suffering, those appeared to be more real than anything else. And so believing the truth, it was just really, really hard to do. But here's the thing about what happens in those moments when what appears to be real isn't actually real. Believing the truth doesn't come from changing what you see. It doesn't change like I just suddenly need to look around. Changing and believing the truth comes from growth. It comes from maturity. Or think about it the way it works with an illusion. When, when, when you're a kid and you see a magic trick, right, You you change the way you see things when you understand its illusion, when you understand how it works, you begin to mature and see things differently. And so let's see how this plays out in Judges as Gideon enters the scene in verse seven. God responds in verse seven, it says, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, an oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In the midst of Israel's oppression and rebellion, God chooses a judge. And now if you picture Gideon, right, maybe you picture um, him as this this battle-readly, manly, brave Gideon, right? If he's about to lead people into war and into this fight, that's the picture you might get. But the impression here from the text is not that. Gideon is small. He's weak. Picture like 100 pounds soaking wet. And when God shows up and chooses him, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which is easy for us to overlook because that's not our culture. It's not the way we we, we think about life. But that's not the way you're supposed to do that. The way it's supposed to work is you take a pitchfork and you throw it up into the air and the chaff gets blown by the wind and the wheat actually would stay. But if you're inside, which is where the text tells us this happens, there's no wind. It, it, It can't happen. And Gideon is inside because he's afraid. He's too afraid to be out in the open when they're experiencing the oppression of the Midianites. And so God shows up to this cowardly leader and he's like, you're the one. Like Gideon, who is the weakest of his clan. He's like, you're, you're, you're the one. I'm with you. I want, I want, I want you to lead. Not long after I started counseling, as I began to look at my own life and some of the circumstances of life, one of the things my therapist really challenged me was to press into my quiet time with Jesus, to really be intentional about being with Jesus, not just doing things for Jesus or talking about Jesus, but but to listen and spend time with Jesus not for any sake of my work or anything else. And so I began to wrestle with this and quiet time was so hard for me. It still is so hard for me. And he'd say, all right, just do it for 15 minutes a day, write about it and I could like maybe on a good day do 10 minutes at best. I I struggled to find the time and the commitment and, I, so, and so I just kept, I kept doing it though like if I'm gonna pay a counselor like well, I should probably try the things he says and so I, I would keep trying and keep reading and keep trying to figure out right, what works for me how can I listen how can I pray how can I be still and quiet But I kept trying I kept reading and kept trying to figure out right, what's gonna work for me And then in the midst of trying that I began to practice as a part of my prayer life what I've shared online a number of times um what we may call listening prayer which might sound foreign and strange if it's a new term term for you but it's simply a way to remind yourself that prayer is meant to be conversational not speech making and so in my quiet time i began to try to learn that i'm not just making speeches to god i wanted to listen to god and so in my quiet time to not just read something but to ask god what does he want to say and so if god promises to speak to l- for me to begin to believe that he will. And depending on how unfamiliar with that, which was me, as I began to press into quiet time, you might not realize that God speaking might not sound or feel like what you think it's supposed to be like. Like when you read the story of Gideon and you apply that to your own life, you you might, might think of the way that God responds to Gideon and be like, all right, that's the way like listening to God is gonna look. Like there's gonna be an angel gonna show up and he's gonna speak out loud in this audible way his voice and speak these things and answer my questions that way, when in reality for me in my own quiet time in prayer I began to realize that the way God speaks is often in my own thoughts, in my own mind, in my own imagination, reaffirming the things that he already has spoken all throughout scripture. And so for me it was more of a still small voice. A thought that would remind me of passages of scripture, words that would speak life and truth, words that would encourage and comfort. A passing thought as my mind was fixed on Jesus, an image in my imagination as I was focused on being in the presence of God. And so one night as I was praying, I asked Jesus the question, what's the lie I believe? And that's what we're talking about, right? It's the illusion. What is the illusion? And for me, immediately, what popped into my head was, you're not strong enough. Now, that actually didn't surprise me because the same phrase had come up with my therapist, which, side note, when Jesus and your therapist say the same things, your, your therapist is probably on the right track. And so not only did it come up with my therapist, though I distinctly remembered a moment after our miscarriage and a conversation with my life where I heard that lie so loud and so clear where I was hearing that louder than anything else. And it was as I was trying to take care of my family. Jessica and I were talking and I immediately felt like the idea of being strong for my family was impossible. It was too big, too overwhelming. It was a weight that I just didn't feel like I could carry. And so I was praying about that, about that feeling, that moment. And I asked Jesus another question. I said, Jesus, when did I start believing that lie? And the moment I asked Jesus that question, what came to mind wasn't a new memory, but it was one that I I haven't thought about a lot. And it was a memory of when I was six years old. I was standing in the back of my father's funeral. And as I stood there in an environment that no kid is really prepared to experience, someone said to me, you're the man of the house now. And it clicked. There was this lie that got embedded deep in there. This need to be strong, yeah, as a six-year-old, which is, a six-year-old is incapable of being strong enough in that kind of moment, and now somehow as a man, as a grown adult, in a moment where because of Jesus, I did have the strength to fight for my family, I continued to feel like an inadequate six-year-old, asked to be someone I couldn't be. I couldn't believe that I could possibly be strong enough for my family, for my friends, for the people I love. Yet here I was, asked to do that for my family and in a vocation where so much of my life is being strong for people. Like that, I couldn't do that, that's not who I am. And it's in the midst of this that this story of Gideon began to resonate so powerfully with me because Gideon, he's this cowardly, not strong enough man called by God to be someone who he didn't think he could possibly be. And I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that in the midst of whatever illusions, whatever lies, whatever fears you face, that when God speaks truth, it doesn't come easily. It's a confrontation with the lie. You don't just believe it. But listen to the power of God and what he says to Gideon. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Or I love how the ESV translates it. It says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And you know what Gideon does when he hears that? He questions it. He starts pointing out to all of these other things, things that don't make sense. And says, well, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but God, how could this possibly be true? God, haven't you seen this? Where were you when this happened? A little bit later, he'll even ask God, you know what, if this is really true, can you just prove it to me? Now, side note, there's actually another scripture that uses the same word, and I think it's interesting because it's a it's a verse, it's a section of scripture that for, that for many Christian women, it gets used as the picture of the ideal woman. And maybe even for some of you women, it feels like it's a burden, like this impossible standard that you could never measure up to. Proverbs 31.10 says, A wife of noble character who can find which is actually a translation from the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word says it this way. It says, a, a woman of valor who can find. It's the language of a mighty warrior, the language of Gideon. For for my daughters, um, I love to tell them they're warrior princesses. It's a picture, it's like the picture of Elsa, right? Elsa, like this This strong warrior princess of a woman and she she'll she'll go and venture out into the n- unknown even though it, it ha- requires facing our fears she ventures into that place to save the people she love and now here's the irony if you read proverbs 31 or if you even hear these comments and you think well I'm not that kind of woman I'm not that kind of mom I'm not that kind of wife i I, I hear that. Right? I hear that idea that you might you might even believe these thoughts that, no, that's not me. I'm not good. I'm not mighty. I'm not blank. But here's the irony. You are literally responding the same way that Gideon responds when, when God called him a man of valor. And so maybe what you see and what is true are just not matching up. And so eventually in my prayer life, I asked Jesus the question, who am I? And I think for a long time, I didn't want to ask that question. I, I waited because there was, kind of, there was all kinds of fears and insecurity behind the question. I knew the lies really quickly, but knowing my identity, I, I, that, that was scary. It was a scary question. What if I didn't like what I heard? Or what if God didn't speak when I asked? What if I heard something I already know? Which, looking back, aren't very good questions. They're questions that really shouldn't stop me from asking the questions. Because, like, what if I didn't like it? Well, does that matter if it's true and speaks life and truth? Does it matter whether I like it or not? Or what if God didn't speak, which is also silly. Like, when does God ever in the scriptures not respond to somebody who asks him a question? That's not that's not how God works. Maybe I would have trouble hearing, but it's not that God's not speaking. Or what if it was something I already know? so, So maybe what I already know is something I still need to hear. And so when I ask God the question, and now let me be clear, me sharing my own experience is loaded with insecurity and the feeling that continues to play of, am I really who God says I am? Is this really who I am? But the first thing as I prayed that popped into my head was, you're a mighty warrior. And I remember hearing that in that moment of prayer and be like, of course. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, I like that Bible story. So I mean, probably like my subconscious just wants to believe that I'm like Gideon. And so I said to God, if this is really who you think I am, and this is not just me making it up, can, can you show me somehow? Which if you continue reading the story of Gideon, that's exactly what he does. He asked God to prove that God is who he says he is, that Gideon is who God said he is. He asked God to do a miracle and to confirm that he's really present, that what he says is really true. I remember talking about this prayer and this question of identity and talking about it afterwards and describing like my questioning and my doubts and 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 saying it and i remember saying something like well when i explain it out loud it sounds really silly that i wouldn't believe that's who god says i am and i think that's the case for so many of us we actually recently talked about this with our next gen team with our student ministry and our kids ministry staff and for so many of us when we go around the room and share the lies we believe one of the most challenging things was to listen to the lies of so many people I love and care about and to hear those lies and know that that is not even close to the way that I see them. And then to begin to understand that when I I hear lies like I'm not strong enough or I don't have it in me, to know they feel the same way, that when they look at me, that's not even close to the way they see me. In fact, that they often see me more like God sees me than I see myself. I want you to believe that you are who God says you are. And all throughout scriptures, this pursuit of God, giving an identity to people is repeated over and over. That God speaks, that God gives a name, that God gives a calling to his people. That's what I want for us. And so in this story, we can see a bit of a pattern. The way that God does this starts, God confronts the illusion. This is what happens on the threshing floor. And I don't know where your threshing floor is, but we all have one. We have this place where we're stuck, where we're hiding, we're in isolation, and we're stuck in our own fears and our lies. We'd rather stay in that place where it's safe. But it's in that place where God starts doing his work. God starts confronting this lie. And he says, in that moment, not once we get out of that place, he says, in that place, I am with you and this is who you are. And if you're in that place, know that Jesus is confronting the lies in that place. He's with you and he's not leaving you. And he is going to speak to you who you are. And it doesn't stay there. But two things happen then when Gideon exchanges the illusion for the truth. Gideon makes the exchange and Gideon confronts the enemy. And now what's important to know is both of these happen at the same time. It's not first Gideon exchanges the lie for a truth and he completely believes he is who God he says he is and then he does God's work. No, both of these are happening together. You start to believe who you are and become who you are at the very same moment. Gideon doesn't 100% believe the truth of who he is. The lies aren't gone for good. He continues to question it. He continues to ask God to prove it. Yet even in the midst of it, he continues to fight to become the person God called him to be. I love the way verse 32 describes Gideon in this fight because it gives him another name, "Jerubbaal," which means contends with Baal. So Gideon, who is called a mighty warrior, gets this other name by the people because when they watch Gideon, they see him as he's the one who fights the enemy. He's the one who contends with the enemy and he fights against them. And then Gideon also gets this other name, which is similar to Jerubbaal, but it's Jerubbasheth which means contends with shame. Because as Gideon fights the enemy, he fights against the literal bales, the gods, but he is also fighting against the shame. He's fighting against the lies. The lies that try to convince him, well, he's just the weakest in the clan, that he's just small, he's just not strong enough. But as Gideon contends against shame and as he contends against the enemy, as he begins to believe he is who God says he is, God sets Gideon free and he sets the nation free. As you live in the truth of who Jesus says you are, it will set people free. In the place it will start, it will begin to set you free. It'll begin to set you free from your own lies your own doubts your own struggles and maybe that won't happen all a hundred percent all at once but jesus will set you free and as you begin to believe that you will begin to experience the freedom that jesus has for you and as you experience that freedom you becoming who you are will also lead to the freedom of other people because what if in your wrestling, in your doubting, in your questioning, in your hearing who Jesus says you are, what if it also led to the freedom of your friends? What if it led to the freedom of one of your children? What if it led to the freedom of one of your neighbors? All simply because you heard who Jesus said you are, and this time, you believed him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for being a God who speaks to us, for being a God who reminds us who we are. And I just pray that in these moments that you would remind us of that truth, that you would help us contend against the enemy, that you would help us contend against the shame and the lies that we so easily believe. Help us to believe that we are who you say we are. Jesus, in this moment, as we pray and as we're Quiet, I ask that you would speak to us. That you would speak to us in this moment, and you would tell us who that you say we are. And so, Jesus, I just ask you, who are we? Jesus, help us to believe it. Help us to believe it when things seem to convince us that that couldn't possibly be true. Help us to believe it when it seems like we couldn't ever become the person that you see us to be. Help us to trust that by your words, that your words have power, and when you speak them, that truth makes it reality. Help us to become the people that you see us to be. Help us to believe that we are who you say we are. In your name we pray.